Um, you're Bready. Yep. I was born Bready. I was born Bready before you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this Douche. show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. John, you give us that lick. <laughs> Explanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I looked some stuff up on Wikipedia, <laughs> watched some Isaac Arthur on YouTube about it, and I'm going to ask my friend David Gerondale about it. SFIA! <laughs> What's good, David? SFIA, Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur. It's the best channel on YouTube. It actually is fucking amazing. Isaac He's Arthur. He's amazing. Let me say that three, let's both say that three times tandem. Isaac, Isaac Arthur, Isaac Arthur, Isaac Arthur. Isaac Arthur. <laughs> uh, he didn't appear. And other good news, um, he didn't. I thought that would happen. Um, I have a slight hope. We just passed 10,000 plays. Really? Nice. Woo. <laughs> 10,000 plays. Not as of this recording, but it'll happen like. As of the release of this <laughs> recording. <laughs> so like, I just lied. We're like 25 away. Um, but as of. It, I'll, I'll post on By the time anyone Instagram. hears me say that, it'll be true. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I got an episode. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. What are we going to learn about? The Kardashev scale. Fuck yes. Yeah. Okay, yes, absolutely. That's, that's what I'm telling you. Like I like I watched a bunch of YouTube about it, watched that Isaac Arthur video like over and over. But I'm sure that you just know more about this than I do. And so that's why I'm gonna lean on you for this episode. All right, we'll see. And I'm gonna ask you stuff. But let's start with a Wikipedia quote. The Kardashev scale is a method of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancement based on the amount of energy a civilization is able to use. It was proposed proposed by Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev in 1964, and that is an important part of it. Able to, right? Able to necessarily yeah. does use every last mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, right. It's the capability. Yeah, like you could, like you have to be able to store that amount, for example. Yeah, and, and use it, it, it before. Yeah, and and so like, like loss doesn't count. Right, loss doesn't count. Also, just an unwillingness to actually utilize every single bit of energy output. That doesn't count. You know what I mean? Like, just because you can harvest 100% of the energy from your sun doesn't mean you're necessarily going to. Yeah. I mean, there are reasons you might want to, actually. We might talk about that later. We'll see. Yeah. Um, We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Kardashev was inspired by the Drake Equation, which was written in 61 by American physicist and astronomer Frank Drake in order to estimate how many active radio communicative civilizations besides ours should be in the Milky Way galaxy. Right. And that's like, it's got a bunch of different things, but it's like... And Drake's equation is a big part of like the Fermi paradox. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the reason we've come up with this paradox type partly... Like, like where is everybody? If there are people out in space, where are they? Space is so big. There are so many other planets. There are so many other stars. There's so much time has already passed. Where are the other 
where are the other ones who are kind of like us, yeah. tool users, and so advanced tool users? That's that. Yeah, that's and not that's the Fermi paradox. Yeah, and we'll absolutely do an episode on that eventually. But let's kind of like gloss over that in the Drake equation, and move right on into the Kardashev scale. Gotcha. And the Kardashev scale ties into something called the Dyson dilemma, which is probably the one of the more compelling parts of. Fermi paradox. We might have to touch on that briefly later. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm going to defer to you on a few things in this episode. Um, So, Kardashev broke down civilizations into three groups. Right. And they're all advanced civilizations. All more advanced than our civilization. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I think... Um, He didn't actually place us... um, And when if you were to say 0.7, that's actually a modified thing that we'll get into yeah i was gonna um, say i think when people say stuff like 0. 0.7 and stuff it's kind of optimistic to yeah. a degree though but it's a logarithmic scale so 0. 0.7 is still like five orders of magnitude away below than a 0. 0.1 okay yeah. anyway let's before we get okay. too far into points <laughs> let's talk about what what is a one? okay so a one is a planetary civilization and a two is a solar civilization and three is a galactic civilization. Meaning that, number yeah. one, they have the capacity to harness all of the energy available on their planet. Yep. Um, a two, meaning they have the uh, the capacity to harness all of the energy of within it. their solar system. And three, meaning they have the capacity to harness all of the energy available in their galaxy. Yeah. And uh, doesn't mean they do, means they have the technological capacity. And as you would think, it's a logarithmic scale. So level three is massively larger than two, which is massively larger than one. Right. Each one of those is not like, uh, yeah, it's not a small step. Isaac Arthur put it this way it's kind of like having three sizes of drinks where you've got large, extra large, and gigantic. And to make it worse, if the large size was one liter cup, the extra large would be an Olympic swimming pool and the galactic and the galactic. No, sorry. And the gigantic, gigantic is the earth's oceans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, he says that the, like the main problem with the Kardashev scale that Carl Sagan later kind of fixed is that it becomes hard when you want to describe a tablespoon size civilization or a bathtub size civilization. Like something in between the one and the two on the Kardashev initial scale doesn't really doesn't really right. follow. Yep. Yeah. Uh, civilizations of dramatically different capabilities could end up with the same number on the Kardashev scale. Or with different capabilities. Like you could have an extra solar civilization that doesn't have capabilities of uh, type two. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's um, true. Absolutely. So Carl Sagan, he made some modifications to the Kardashev scale. And it's basically the scale that everybody uses now. But they don't say the Carl Sagan modified Kardashev scale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he made it a magnitude scale. And so he made a K0, which uses 10 to the 6 watts. That's like a megawatt of power. And uh, it's like about 10,000 people. Okay. Like, without like advanced technology at all um a k1 uses 10 to the 16 k2 uses 10 to the 26 k3 uses 10 to the 36 
every 10 you add to the exponent is the next Kardashev scale. And right, that gotcha. And, yeah. that, and that corresponds with like, so the K1 where it uses 10 to the 16, that's about how much extrasolar radiation Earth gets as a whole. Okay. And then uh, 10 to the 26 watts of power is roughly how much energy the earth, the sun releases. Gotcha. Um, and then okay, so he was able to basically fix it and make it roughly line up with what yeah, Kardashev yeah. had in mind originally. And by roughly, it's not even that rough. Like uh, The only real difference is with the Carl Sagan modified version, uh, K1.1 is the is the planetary civilization. Okay, because you're harnessing but K2 light point, and geothermal, is that No, why? no, no. It's just because of the uh, adva- like amount of power. Oh. I don't know. I don't actually get that part. But K2.0 is still the same on okay. both scales and K3.0 is still the same, but it adds the decimal points pretty much. Okay. And so you can be more specific when you talk about it. And that's why people say we're... A 0.7. 0.7. Some people say 0.71, and even some say 0.73. See, I the reason I think that that is slightly suspect is just because only about 50% of the total energy available on the surface of Earth is the result of solar radiation, and the other 50% is due to geothermal activity. And so I think when you take that into account... Well, no, but because that's the other problem with Kardashev scale, is it's a a measure of the amount of power that uh, civilization can harness, but it's based on how much extrasolar radiation actually reaches the planet. So you can reach K, you could reach K1 with only fusion and no collection of of solar radiation at all. Right, of course, of course. I'm just saying that Earth's total energy or total energy available is higher than what is estimated as K1. As K1. Actually, absolutely, yeah. Uh so yeah, let's talk about uh, K1, okay, planetary yeah. civilization. A bunch of prominent scientists think it's possible to achieve K1 within 300 years. And some more optimistic scientists like Michio Kaku think it could happen in as, in as little as 100 to 200 years. Yeah, so I, I actually, I tend to agree with Michio Kaku. On because that. fusion Just is because of really fusion. Big. Yeah, yeah. Like, and a lot of people have reason to doubt fusion, but if you actually have been paying attention to what's been going on lately, we are actually on the cusp of of producing net positive fusion reactions. Um, in fact, we have done it, just not that substantially. We've produced, like, a couple of watts here and there. Yeah. Um, but with... With the more advanced uh, models that are coming out, like the Stellarator, and with just larger, larger tokamaks and mm. and computers that can handle um, plasma flow better, because the most difficult thing is sustaining a plasma. Yeah, and we we now have the we have access to these computer models that can. And they're like varied ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there are tons on. of different ways to yeah to try sustain a, a plasma. And in fact, America tends to go more the route of like bombarding things with lasers until they undergo fusion. Mm. Um, whereas like Europe 
um, and Russia tend to go with like the tokamak route where they make these big donuts or toroids and they make like a donut of plasma. Sorry, how's that different than the the Americanized one? The American one, we tend to use um, uh, a model where you basically you hold a sample oh, so it's in a singular hydrogen. place. Yeah, exactly. It's it's static. instead of being you a, hold a tube that goes around. Exactly. It's not flowing anywhere. So a tokamak is like a flowing tube that and is suspended. And you have suspended. to sustain the plasma for, for several seconds in order to get the, a net positive The other output. one just holds it in a singular space. It uses super powerful magnets, and what it does is they they hold... So they, they pump out a little bit of hydrogen gas, and then they pulse these lasers from all directions and the lasers hit it with so much photonic pressure that it, it um, undergoes fusion. Okay. Um, the, the different hydrogens fuse into helium and while it's fusing and it's in a plasma state, these super powerful magnets hold it. They contain it, keeping it tight enough and yeah, small enough that, that it, it can continue to reacting. Fuse. Yeah. Have they made, they haven't yet made any fusion that uh, is, net that gains net energy right yeah no we have just we just have. only in like n- not in a usable amount though okay. but yeah we have we've broken that threshold okay i think we did that a couple years ago now shit that's pretty fucking awesome right and then eider's supposed to come on and like um eider is the massive massive like city block sized tokamak reactor they're building in um in europe in western oh, wow. europe and that's supposed to go on in the mid 2020s. Okay. And that's okay. gonna actually produce energy. And once we have fusion, like all bets are off when it yeah. comes to energy consumption. Um, it's clean. It's you can do it. The only the only real downside to fusion is maybe portability. Yeah. And so you still want to have things like wind farms, like solar. You still want to have things to supplement it. Yeah. Also, why not? Yeah, it's why pretty, not? You don't want all to your eggs up. in one basket yeah. all the time. Um, let's talk about a level two system. Okay, yeah. Uh, K2, solar. A uh, level two c- civilization, as we talked about, is capable of collecting all the energy emitted by their home star. And it's about 10 to the 26 watts. Michio thinks that this could be possible in a few thousand years. Yeah, that's optimistic, but... I think it's, um, I think it's, yeah. But yeah, uh, the only reason I say optimistic is because of the numbers we're talking about at this point. And what you'd actually have to do. What you'd actually have to do. At this point, you're talking about deconstructing entire planets Mm. in your home solar system in order to... Likely Mercury. Maximize. Um, Yeah, I mean... Or Jupiter, even. I think in the Dyson paper, he talked about ripping Jupiter apart and using it for his Dyson. Yeah, yeah, he certainly does. That would be okay, kind wait, of a sad we haven't fate even, We haven't even Jupiter, introduced Dyson spheres or swarms yet. Yeah, let's so do that for number two, because we're talking that, about number yeah. two. So what number two means is building a Dyson swarm, essentially. So mm-hmm. um, when when people, talk, people hear about Dyson spheres, um, and most of the time the practical notion behind that would be a swarm so not one rigid sphere yeah it's not like a star but rather millions um of uh, satellites satellites huge um rotating habitats housing thousands of people millions of people so what you're actually talking about when you're talking about a kardashev 2 civilization is it's orders of magnitude more 
people than any galactic yeah, civilization you've g- ever seen in any sci-fi. So that's, like it makes the empire from Star Wars look puny. Um, yeah, like, you were uh, talking about an entire galaxy's worth of planetary population in one solar system when you look at a yeah. Kardashev two. Like in because a K two, so Isaac Arthur was people. talking about. Uh, Isaac Arthur was talking about there could possibly be the at low estimates in a K two civilization a billion people for every single person on Earth. Yep. So there exactly. could be a billion, a billion times six billion or seven yeah. billion. Yeah. Easily. Because you're talking about what you're doing is transforming massive bodies in the solar system into rotating habitats of all different varieties. Yeah. Um, and uh, the crazy thing is, like, you could <laughs> you could have, like, a slight tiny percent of the people just invest in, like, a Kickstarter for, like, this weird orb-shaped world. Or like a disc shaped world, and then like if that exists, that exists. Yeah, by the time it you would see, be easy for anything to happen. By the time you've achieved K two status, the types of things that we think of as possible these days, it's it's not. It's it. You've entered the realm of the fantastical. Yeah, like um, Isaac Arthur was talking about how there are so many people that like how we have like maybe a thousand astronomers today a k2 civilization could have a trillion astronomers and they could have a telescope well better than the hubble telescope only looking at one star in our galaxy and have a giant team of people only studying that one star forever and it not take up any real resources yeah yeah it's like yeah it's a it's a scarcity free society a post scarcity society society yep so and that's what fusion does for us that's the dream of fusion is that it leads to post scarcity so if we can produce energy essentially for free then why can't my children why can't i why can't um everyone have a basic living income i mean if we can literally produce energy for free essentially or it becomes free because of the net positive output the idea is that 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 rising tide lifts all ships. Like yeah. we should all actually see our quality of life improve oh, yeah. um, we're, with we're, technologies like that. We're talking about how that could or should possibly be a thing right now, and we're definitely not in a post scarcity society. Yeah. Yep. Um, exactly. We can afford that now as a nation, and we're nowhere near post scarcity. But yeah, so Kar- Kardashev too. You would expect them most people to live in a post scarcity um, setting yeah. economy. Um, you would expect that. Well, and populations can explode, especially where people don't necessarily probably have to die and could continue having babies. Or like by the time you send off a colonization ship to another place, you don't even have to load it. You can just like let people breed on the way. Yeah, that's true. And that's another thing. That's another thing to think about too. When, when you're talking about a Kardashev two civilization and the reason we know that no Kardashev two civilizations have really been around in our galaxy before us, they would have a heat signature. They would ha- definitely have a heat. That's signature. actually what Kardashev was mostly interested in. And that's the um, Dyson when, dilemma right there. When you make a Dyson swarm, what happens is all that energy you're taking up from the sun gets converted into infrared energy, heat. Mm. And so what you would see is a star that gave off a lot of heat for how dim it was. 
and okay. there would be ways to to tell oh this is actually a swarm of objects absorbing solar radiation and re-emitting it as waste heat and so far we haven't seen anything like that that's what people were so excited about with tabby's star um, mm. But it turns out that that was interstellar bands of dust. They weren't even in the same yeah. system as the star. They're actually just bands of oh, dust really? in between us and the star. Okay, and yeah, there have been like a, lo- a few other false positives, like yep. uh, like a sound or like the wow signal was like a false positive. Well, we don't know. We don't know. That one's never been replicated. Oh yeah, and that one was really weird because it it used the hydrogen line as a signifying marker, so it was oh. transmitted. On the hydrogen line, which is a frequency that is used to communicate intelligence, we believe, because the hydrogen line is um, it is the frequency that is equivalent to, and this is this is where it gets really technical. It is equivalent to like the distance covered by during the decay of some type of hydrogen into another type of hydrogen. Is it like the distance covered during a hydrogen flip? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, okay. it is. Thank you. I'm glad you know what that is. Yeah. Well, I know like what it basically is. It's like if a hydrogen but, gets excited in the right way, it's like if a microwave touches a hydrogen, the it like flips in some way. Okay. So yeah, it um, is the the hydrogen line is the distance in radio frequency that um, corresponds. That that's corresponds. why my, that's why microwaves actually heat shit up. Yep, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, they're all at the same frequency. They just yeah, exactly. Because their their frequency corresponds with the distance between uh hydrogen like water molecules and hydrogen specifically. Yep. And so that like excites it, it flips it, and then that's what it's makes... basically like a the every water molecule inside your food in a microwave is like a rotating uh, magnet. Yeah. It's just like flipping back and forth really rapidly, heating its surroundings by friction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about level three. Level three. Level three. Level three civilization can harness all the power available in its galaxy. Or every single sun in the galaxy has been cons- converted into a Dyson swarm. This is the all Earth's oceans. Compared to the pool, compared right. to the liter cup. So basically at this point, the size of the civilization is unimaginable. Yeah. Calling like, it a civilization is probably a not stretch. even... Yeah, that's it's a stretch. Absolutely a stretch. Um, because, unless, unless you have faster than light travel. Yeah, ex- exactly. Unless you have magical technology um, that, that doesn't apply to the laws of physics as we currently know them. Calling it a civilization is a stretch. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Calling like, each star itself its own civilization is almost a stretch. Yeah. Um, and I think, so, for instance, it there's well, just no way that the individuals on one end of the galaxy are members of even a similar species to those on the other end. They may have all come from the same yeah, they planet have, originally, but at this, at this, this late in the game, there's no way like, that any of them would recognize each other as being from the same species. But like, uh, I think Isaac Arthur was talking about how, um, like space works in three dimensions. So like, if you are, if you like think about any single planet, then it could be like five light years away. Let me start over. But like since space works in three, three dimensions, 
I think Isaac Arthur was talking about you'd be surprised how many local systems can be close to you. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Like if um, you go out from Earth, it's not long before you have dozens of star systems around us. Like, and then it just at, keeps going. At one for light everyone. year, you have like maybe. Um, okay, at one light year, you have like a star system. At two light years, you've already got like three or four star systems. Mm. At three light years, you've now got like eight star systems. Uh, yeah. When you get out to like 10 light years, you've got dozens of star systems exactly. uh, within that radius from us. So, yeah. And, uh, but if you were able to complete a single Dyson swarm around a single one of those stars, you would be much better off than if you had colonized every single planet in the galaxy. In the galaxy, yes. Yeah, that's that's the thing that that sci-fi usually gets wrong is staying home in your own system and utilizing all of your available resources, you will quickly outpopulate an entire galaxy worth of people who are stuck on this notion of going to planets. And yeah. as like some like some people have said this before, you spent all that energy escaping the gravity prison of your planet. Why would you just go set up shop on another gravity prison? Yeah. Spend your life up where you, you, you know, travel is free basically. Mm. Well, and then if you have a Dyson, if you have the ability to make a Dyson swarm, then you can do tons of crazy shit. Like you can do, uh, you can do star ring worlds ring like there worlds. are in Halo. You can do um, star lifting. Yep. Will you, yeah. will you tell us about star lifting a little bit? Okay, let's say that you're a really powerful civilization and you're mm -hmm. looking way into the future in terms of like, you know that the stars are going to burn out someday and you understand how this works. More massive stars burn out faster and they're just wasting energy. They're oh, yeah. literally just burning up the, the universe's resources and someday there are not going to be any of those resources left. Um, and say you just want your star to live longer. Well, you can actually increase the length of your star's lifespan by siphoning, siphoning off material off from it. Um, and there's kind of a number of ways you can do that. <clears throat> One of them is just to build mirrors. Yeah. Um, they like just shove all of like the kind of like push in and kind of wait in a wave form. Right. And yep. then just like shove everything off to one direction. And then you can like collect like like billions of uh, Earth size masses off of the sun while making the sun last longer. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have and the ability to transmute um, matter into into heavier elements, which a Kardashev two civilization could e easily have access to that type of technology. It doesn't actually break any of the rules of physics. It's just would be an extraordinarily complex form of fusion. Um, but if you had that capacity, because that's what stars did, right? Stars made yeah. the heavy elements that way. It has been done. Um, but if you had that capacity, yeah, you could actually build solid objects from lifting hydrogen from the star. You would increase the lifespan of the oh, star. Because, yeah, you could just like build, make a little star and then like have yeah, it, you like, build collapse. a massive collider or something like that, and basically simulate um, tiny star interiors. And then at that point, you basically just have control of matter. Yep. Um, yeah, and, essentially. And that's like another way to because. Like one objection or critique of the Kardashev scale is that it only focuses on the amount of energy available. And if you like think about like the difference between two base computers when they first came out and modern supercomputers that use like 
tons less energy and compute way well more. We can believe right. that we can believe that that will still continue to happen. Like, to a to a degree, yeah. To a degree, um, it will run into some physical limitations, but yeah, yeah. Uh, for instance, like a black hole civilization, a civilization at the end of time where there are no stars and they harvest the energy, the Hawking radiation from black holes, they might be on almost like a Kardashev 2 level despite having access to way less energy. They're just much more efficient with that energy. Yeah, They exactly. all run in simulated chips. None of them have biological bodies. Yeah, Isaac was talking about like if you, uh, like, if you could siphon off things from the accretion disk of a black hole and get energy that way, your whole system would use much less power than a Duracell battery. Yes. And make... And, and run a, oh, and, half a universe off of it. And, yeah, run, like, more than a K2 civilization yep. off of it. It's Having not, all your, civiliz- or all or your like trillions of maybe citizens even downloaded a K3, into I'm a sure. chip. Yeah. Uh, let me think. And, so, and but can just really ahead, quick, yeah. so like the Dyson dilemma that shows us that we probably don't have any Kardashev twos in our galaxy in the past, partly because, like you said earlier, if you're a member of a Kardashev two civilization and you want to go colonize a new star system, you just start a Kickstarter. Oh, There's yeah, going to yeah. be a billion other people who fund that Kickstarter. Because there are just that many humans. There yeah. are just that many people. That many damn people. Um, like, you don't even have to, like, you don't even, like, most people or the very large majority of people don't even need to have heard of the Kickstarter to do that. Yep. Exactly. And uh, so at that point, it's going to be as easy to kick out spaceships out into interstellar, the interstellar void as it is to send cruise ships across oceans today. And so at that and point, yeah, you could just, it's going to be a lot longer process, but it won't be significantly more difficult or taxing on their economies than us making cruise ships is. And so yeah. at that point, it's only a matter of time until you've become a K3 civilization. Like it's literally only a matter of time. And there's been so much time in our galaxy because that if there's no one who's done this, that means there was no one around to do it. Most yeah, most likely. It's kind of creepy, but I don't know. I still believe they're out there. But also the other thing is that it because it takes so much time for uh for us to observe anything that happens in the distant universe, something could be happening concurrently. Yes, like that we can't could, see. Yeah. But there are, so for instance though, there are no ancient K3 civilizations. Yeah, no. Ancient, not by human history standards, by ancient, by the universe standards. Yeah, like, like there were there no are K3 no, civilizations. There are no two billion year old K2 civ- or K3 civilizations in the entire observable universe. Yeah. Wait, you mean uh, like two billion years from us or the from the start of, from the Big Bang? Uh, two billion years old, like two billion years. I guess you're right. There could be in the observable universe, uh, two billion years old. Um. So I like, guess let me put it this way. Within that... 2 billion years, light years of us, there are no 2 billion year old Kardashev civilizations. Okay, yeah. And 2 billion light years is a long, long fucking way. Yeah. Um, but there are some That's things That's thousands called... of galaxies. But there are some things called super voids. Um, which which are just basically like they have can be really good explanations. They have really them. good explanations yeah. that I really. Understand. I know it's tempting to look it is at tempting. them and see it's, like an expanding Kardashev three, but uh, 
they they don't put out infrared energy like you would expect. No. So maybe they're using some magic technology. That's fine. Yeah. But um. And also, like maybe like. But the other, the thing. other thing about them <laughs> is when you look at them, especially Boaties, which is the big super void, the Boaties super mm. void. When you look at it, <clears throat> it looks exactly like two smaller voids that collided. And whose gravity? So, like, when you have you have to think about it when you're talking about a void. There's actually gravity pulling you to let's, the edge of the let's void. Let's just kind of explain what a void is. A, a void, void is it's a super massive, like billions of light area. years across that has much, much less density, like maybe a tenth or less than a tenth of as many galaxies as should be. Expected. Oh yeah, much less. I think it's like a thousandth. A thousandth of the yeah. density of galaxies that should be expected in the same area of space. Yeah, and in some areas of the supervoid, it's even less than that. Yeah. But, like, what you see with the supervoid is two voids. Like, I'm holding my hands up. I'm making two circles. The two <laughs> circles are coming together. And then what happens is as they come together, the gravity at the edges, because remember, there's very few gra galaxies in here. So the is galaxies like at the edges are actually pulling the galaxies on the inside towards the edge and so what we see oh, in the, the galaxy is a thin string of galaxies in the middle of the void that then thicken out as they get to the edge so it's as though someone has taken two bubbles let them touch and now is dissolving the barrier between the two bubbles making them oh, one weird like cellular division yep so it really does it Looks oh, like it's just that's two crazy. That <clears throat> that's like galactic expansion that will happen probably everywhere with every galaxy everywhere. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, eventually we're all going to feel like we live in Bodhi's void. Okay. Can you imagine though? There's like, if you lived in that void, how much more empty the galaxy or the universe seems. Yeah, exactly. Like you have a handful you have, of galaxies. You have one galaxy around you. Yeah, exactly. Like you have one galaxy within like a million light years. That would be so depressing. Oh my god. You you would feel like you were imprisoned almost. Especially when you realize that the universe well, was expanding. Well, you wouldn't feel like that. That's the only thing you know. That's the only thing you know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um. Anyway, uh, you got anything else you want to talk about with the Kardashev scale? Oh, I got one more thing. Um, Nikolai Kardashev and uh, Frank Dyson are both still alive. Really? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Where is it? Kardashev is 87 and Frank Drake is 88. Wait, Drake? Or you said Dyson earlier. Oh, no. Frank Drake. Okay. Not Drake. Dyson. I think Dyson's dead. I think he is, yeah. Yeah. Frank Drake from the Drake Equation okay. is 88. Kardashev is 87. And if Carl Sagan were alive today, I think he'd be 85. He'd be 85. Okay. Wow. He died at 62, which is too fucking early for yeah, that Yeah, that's man. way too young. It's fucking crazy how much shit Carl Sagan got up to. Yep. Like how he like fucking fixed everything in astronomy. <laughs> and was involved in everything. Involved in a lot of NASA programs. Yeah, like he fucking made the Voyager disc. Yeah, with his with his uh, survived with his surviving wife. Is that what you say? With his widow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his wife at the time. Yeah, and his wife who survives him. His wife who survives him. 
Yeah, Carl Sagan's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Carl Sagan is awesome. I'm going to be honest, though. I think Drake's equation is garbage. Oh, yeah, because how... It gives way too many people the idea that there should be more civilizations than there are. I think it makes the whole notion way simpler. Well, and not only that, like, every single aspect of it. Like, let's look. We have... We have... The average rate of star formations in our galaxy. We can probably figure that out. The fraction that have stars that have the fraction of those stars that have planets. Right. And that's really like, big. And so far, so and, far, I'm kind of all right with it. But, so far, I'm kind of all right with it. Okay. So then you got the average number of planets that can potentially so- support life per star that has planets. And like this, and see, it this just is becomes, where it, it gets starts tricky. to become so conjectural. This is already where it gets really tricky, too, because like, so. And then the when, fraction when, of those planets that actually develop life at some point. And so... And then intelligent life. And then, like, basically there are just so many different compounding variables that are all, every single one of and them... And so many of those variables, I would actually know. argue, are several variables. So, yeah, okay. So, for instance, like, um, if you have a, a, a red giant within 30 light years of you it's not going to give your planet enough time to develop intelligent life. Like it's just not, it's only going to live for several million years, which isn't enough time for um, simple life to develop and turn into complex life, let alone it turn into intelligent life. That can become extra. And if within 30 years of a supermassive red giant, you will die when it goes off. Like all life on your planet will become extinguished. So there are a shit ton of those knocking around in the galaxy um, then you have to look at things like there are just sections of the galaxy, whole sections of it that are less congruous to life, like the core of the galaxy. You're never going to mm-hmm. see life pop up there, not okay. life that we would recognize because there are too many black holes. There are too many supermassive red giants. Yeah. Um, it's too just damn constantly there. irradiated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, likewise, you have empty spots in the galaxy. Uh, then you have to think about the fact that, like, there are life arising on a planet and life becoming human-like and developing human-like tools and technology. Those are way different things. Dolphins, arguably as smart in, as humans in some ways. Never, ever, 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 <laughs> ever, ever going to develop human-like civilization oh, and yeah, te- uh-uh. tool technology. Why? Because they're never going to need fire. Because it's never going to improve their lives. Mm. Without fire, they're never going to have metal. Without metal, they're never going to have advanced yeah. technology. Um, and without a need for things like mathematics to build buildings, like, you know, without yeah. a practical application for some of the sciences, it, it's just never going to happen. And, and know, so you have to think about the number of dolphins that are out there. I think there are probably a ton of dolphins out there in the universe, by which I mean highly intelligent <laughs> oh organisms that are never, ever going to develop advanced technology. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even if you think about the history of the Earth, it's <laughs> it's littered with... It's I, fucking radical that we're, we're the fucking ones. Yep. And that we even happened because we could have easily not happened. Oh, there yeah. could have been like six more different dinosaur ages that got extinct <laughs> yeah. well after we're currently living. Or not dinosaur ages, but like different ages after different extinctions, wherein no intelligent civilization ever, ever came developed. about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Most anthropologists say if you wind the clock back to like us and chimpanzees being one species again, 
you don't see human civilization. Like if you just wind the clock back oh, that far, not. you probably don't have a repeat of what has happened. No. Um, and and to think about how rare this is, squid and octopus have had their current level of intelligence, roughly speaking, for four hundred million years yeah 400 million if they were going to develop technology if technology was going to improve their lives in any meaningful sense genetically it would have happened yeah so the conditions under which a a species becomes human-like with its technology and tool use i think are very 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 rare i think more rare possibly than intelligence Mm -hmm. yeah we're, we're pretty intelligence is common on our planet you got elephants, you got other apes, you got dolphins, you got squids. Yeah, civilization, that's what's Civilization's rare. rare as shit. Yeah. Only one human species even did it. Yep. There were dozens of human species knocking around for millions of years. None of them did this. Not, yeah. And then we killed them anyway. Anyway, let's wrap up, man. Yeah. I think we did We've well. We've talked plenty. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's it for this episode. The Explanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. If you want to support this show, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks to Alexis and Betty for becoming patrons. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. For real. Also, thanks to DJ Asylum and ALX2416 for their reviews on iTunes. All you guys kick ass. Likely... We got a bunch of things wrong. Shut up. If you want to tell me about it or you just want to bullshit, hit me up at DexplanationsPodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at Dexplanations or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you have a really good sense of style. Bye now. (laughs) 